Why does anyone take a dose of any kind of psychedelic? Underneath everyone's lofty intentions and whatever words you want to use, it's I just want to feel happier. Usually I want to feel more at peace. I want to be less in conflict with myself and others. I want to feel more loved. I want to feel worthy. And I just want to live my life in harmony with all of those things. Everything else then is just a manifestation of choice. Today, I'm talking nerdy about the therapeutic value of psychedelics and psilocybin in healing your brain and your heart with Alex Waters. In this conversation, we're diving into some of the neuroscience behind how psychedelics and more specifically psilocybin change your brain by temporarily shutting down the default mode network, also known as the part of your brain that's responsible for everyday consciousness and ego, allowing for deep healing and neuroplasticity to occur. We also talk about the scientific literature that highlights the effectiveness of trust and surrender and the efficacy of psychedelic healing modalities, the combination of psychedelics and music to amplify a ceremonial experience, and the internal barriers to entry that stop individuals from exploring plant medicine, such as fear, resistance, and the illusion of control. One of the things that makes this episode super unique is that Alex actually coaches me through some of the fear and perfectionism that has held me back from exploring psychedelics further. Alex Waters is an international speaker and certified trauma-informed master coach. He has extensive experience and training in the fields of ancient plant medicine, somatic therapy, NLP, simple and complex trauma, inner child work, intimacy work, tantra, and masculine and feminine embodiment work. Before you dive into this episode, I want to give a little disclaimer that I am not a doctor and none of what is shared in this episode or any episode of Talk Nerdy to Me is constituted as medical advice. Now let's dive in and start talking nerdy. So I wanted to start off this interview by sharing with you that you are officially the fourth Alex that's come on Talk Nerdy to Me. Yeah, I love that. I'm just trying to gather a bunch of brilliant Alexes and contain us all in one virtual space for the people. Yeah. So thank you so much for hopping on and being willing to talk nerdy to me. I think of all of the guests that I've had on so far, you're one of the guests that I'm the most nervous about because... Plant medicine, psilocybin, all of those things are things that I personally have very little experience with and professionally didn't know very much about. So I had to actually dig into some of the research before getting on our calls today. And I wanted to share that I'm feeling a little nervous, but I also know that that's kind of your area of expertise is guiding people through the process of surrendering and trusting and letting go. Totally. Yeah, I love that. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if you have any words of wisdom for me before we dive into this conversation. But if you do, I wanted to give you space for that. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing to be afraid of. You can just take a deep breath if you feel nervous. So (laughs) that's all I got. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm already breathing pretty deeply. I guess a good place to begin would be with your own personal journey, exploring the world of plant medicine and psychedelics as a modality of healing. Yeah, well, like a little bit of backstory context is that, you know, most of my 20s, I did the opposite to everyone else. You know, everyone else was like going backpacking around Europe and at university or college and getting a degree. And I was like hardcore full-time working from the age of 17. I dropped out of high school and my entire life's mission really unconsciously was to like prove myself to the world. 
prove that I was good enough through being successful and really successful in inverted commas was like making money. You know, that was, that's the thing. And so, um, by the time I was 27, I had three businesses turning over two and a half million dollars a year. You know, I had lots of people working for me all around the world, but I just, I remember I had a moment where I was like drunk and I looked at myself in the mirror and I really hated who I saw. Like I wasn't happy with myself. I wasn't happy in my life. I wasn't happy with my choices, my relationships. It was like the only thing I kind of had was money. And at this particular point in my life, I was going through a bit of financial hardship. I'd taken on a lot of debt, so on and so forth. And that led me down a path, you know, found a couple of different mentors and eventually I, I found psychedelics. And the first like profound experience I really had with psilocybin mushrooms was about my sixth journey. And I was in California, a couple of hours north of LA, and I took about nine grams of mushrooms, which is quite a decent dose. And I found myself on this mountain overlooking the ocean by myself and my intention for this journey had been to experience unconditional love and have my heart blown wide open. Those exact words. And that's exactly what happened. Pretty much out of nowhere as the mushrooms started taking me on the journey and I sort of stopped being Alex, you know, because I was being taken by the medicine. I felt this overwhelming white light pouring into my body what felt like it was coming down from the sky and I just remember like rolling around on the ground crying and crying and crying feeling unconditional love for the first time ever not not seeking it from you not from my parents not from my employees not for doing a good job not for making lots of money I was receiving love from collective consciousness, universe, whatever you want to call it, myself, just for being me in that moment. And I remember walking down back to the car and uh, I was with a friend and a mentor at the time. And I turned to him and I was like, I, I'm, my life's never going to be the same again. Like I'm, I feel different. And that was the first time it, 28 years old that I'd ever felt the experience in my body of unconditional love. That's when my journey with psychedelics really began. Like I was like, wow, this is, this is the thing. Like, this is the thing that I want to, you know, work with and pursue just for myself, for my own healing. Because I guess, although a lot of us have had parents that are great and like very loving and caring. For whatever reason, whether it's in the womb, whether it's through our birth and the way that our first interaction was with our mother or not with our mother, how traumatic the birth was, all of those things have imprints on our ability to experience love and experience ourselves as worthy of love. And for whatever reason, for me, you know, I just had never felt that feeling before. I can't tell you enough about how it just like impacted me because... I believe that all things that we do at all times is just simply to meet a need. Like at all times, every single action, decision, behavior, everything, whether it's good or bad, right or wrong, it's always to meet a need. And usually underneath all of those needs on the surface level, like fun, pleasure, certainty, 
you know, all of those things is love. Like the thing that we're all looking for and seeking is love. And so when you can feel love and you understand and, and have the experience of being love and being loved just as you are without needing to do anything, it completely shifted my entire paradigm of who I thought I was because my entire world was set up around being this guy that I had to go out and like do all these things to meet all these needs when actually like now the needs met, oh fuck, like what now? You know, I can kind of relax. So how did you begin to integrate that back into your everyday life? Or was there a little bit of a, I don't want to say culture shock, but reality shock if you were coming down literally off of the mountain? Yeah, not not really. At that time in my life, I had, I'd reached enough pain, Alex. I was 27, two and a half million dollars a year going through my, my bank accounts in my business. Most people in the world will never get that, right? And so I had a huge gift and a huge blessing because I got to experience the thing that lots of people are chasing that they think will give them what they want. And I had it to some degree, right? People, some people get to millions and billions before they, before they realize. But I was like, well, if this isn't fulfilling, if this isn't making me happy and I still feel like shit and I don't have a girlfriend, I'm unhappy, I'm cheating on all my exes, I'm drinking to excess, I'm taking lots of drugs to everything I do in my life is to avoid my life and escape. Well, like, what the fuck? What the fuck else is there? What am I supposed to do? So I was at this place where I'd already come to that point of like peak pain to cause me to change. And I'd just taken three months off away from my businesses. I put a manager in charge. I was like traveling the US, living in Hawaii for a couple of months. So I kind of had space to to go a bit crazy, I would say. And I did, I actually went a bit crazy for a while. I grew out my hair. I went full hippie, barefoot everywhere. So I wasn't trying to integrate it back into some like normal life at that point. It was very much just like, I'm trusting this because it feels right. And because obviously I facilitate a lot of plant medicine journeys now for a lot of different people. And I think that most people actually get that at some point in their journey with plant medicine. They get to a point where they're like, I felt enough of the shitty stuff over there. Like, and this feels really amazing and it feels true and it feels fulfilling. And I'm just actually going to choose to trust that feeling and wherever that feeling wants to lead me in life. And in my case, it was the unwinding of my business empire and changing a lot of things in my life. You mentioned that this experience that you had, like the one where your heart was blown wide open, was your sixth journey. And you also just mentioned that for some people, it takes a while within their own experience of the plant medicine to have that deep experiential understanding of what is the truth or choosing to believe in that over the lifetime of evidence that they've had that would suggest otherwise. Do you think that the work with plant medicine or psilocybin is most effective when it's an ongoing process? Or do you think that a singular experience is enough for some people? That's a great question. I think it really depends on the intention, the desire, and the person. It seems to be with older people, like I'd say 50s, 60s, when they have a single dose, they're like, holy shit, I fucking get it. I just see all my wrongs. I can see all the ways I've been like fucking myself up in life. And 
Wando seems to shift so much for people who are much older because I think they've got life experience to compare to the the experience of the medicine. But it also depends on the intention, right? So like not everyone's intention with plant medicine is to is to completely shift their entire life. It might just be literally that, you know, I want to give up alcohol, want to give up smoking. And I, I love the rest of my life. I love my marriage. You know, I just, and I just want to be a little happier in myself. Well, studies show addictions to alcohol and cigarettes that like one dose of psilocybin for people who shared that they had an addiction basically cured their addiction 80% of the time. That's really impressive. Something that I was stumbling across when I was preparing myself for this interview was literally the the phrase trust, let go and surrender and the use of that in psilocybin and psychedelic therapy in terms of increasing the effectiveness of working with plant medicines that being able to trust, let go and surrender is actually an imperative part of that. Do you think that your clients that are in their 50s, 60s are just in a place in their lives where they're feeling more open and receptive to whatever may happen versus people who are in their 20s, 30s, 40s, there's perhaps a sense of control that they're still trying to hold on to? Yeah, I think as you get older in life, it gets easier to let go usually because you just realize you've had more time trying the same, like hitting your head in the same spot against the same brick wall. And (laughs) it's like, oh, it still hurts and it's not working, you know? And I think People who are a little bit older, they've already had that epiphany, but they still maybe don't have the answers to their questions or the the how to shift out of their patterns and behaviors in life. Really, the context of all of this that we're talking about is like, why does anyone take a dose of any kind of psychedelic, you know, underneath everyone's like lofty intentions and whatever words you want to use? It's like, I just want to feel happier. Usually, I want to feel more at peace. I want to be less in conflict with myself and others. I want to feel more loved. I want to feel worthy. And I just want to live my life in harmony with all of those things. Everything else then is just a manifestation of choice. Money, career, sports, hobbies, personality. It's all a matter of choice after that. So one of the things that I think that brings up for me at least is a lot of the resistance and fear around even delving into it because in order to get to that state of happiness or peace, like there is a barrier to entry that's usually us limiting ourselves in some way. And so I'm curious how you support the people who come on your retreats and your clients through working through those initial stages of fear and resistance and the compulsion to grip and hold on to any illusion of control that they might have. Because for me, that's the biggest thing that comes up and the biggest fear that I encounter is the loss of control, as you know. The fear exists because there's a belief that the decision to work with plant medicine will conflict with an identity that this person has. So what's it going to do to me? Who am I going to be on the other side of it? What if I don't like that? Which is all mind games of control and patterns of a lack of acceptance for what is. It's all questions that operate from a place of assuming that I have control over anything. You know, and so if I just control what I know now, well, then I can sort of stay safe in that. And most people I work with, certainly there's no like pressure or force or fear. And 
their fear previously is greater than their, their fear during or after. If all of our decisions are being driven by a need and the decision to not change or not take a dose of psilocybin or work with some kind of plant medicine is meeting a need of staying safe in the known and what I know now. Well, if someone's come to me and they're like, want to discuss it, but they're still coming up against fear and resistance and they're still like sort of fighting to stay where they are. I would just simply ask them a series of questions that gets them to look at what they're actually not happy with and how the, the current patterns that they've got are actually not working for them in their life. Cause that's the only reason people start inquiring about this stuff, right? They're like, <laughs> even if they're telling themselves a story of like, no, it's all good. I'm, I'm sweet. Like life's, life's good. I don't even need to change anything, but I've had a real curiosity about working with psilocybin. You know, when you dig a little deeper, you find there's a dissatisfaction with, you know, the patterns or behaviors that someone has operating in their life. Do you mind if we do some of that right now? Are you willing to? Let's do it. hundred percent. Let's go. Hearing you share about the identity piece. For me, the immediate thought was, I'm a very curious person. If there's any expansion that I can go through, I would love to explore that. And I think what you said really hit the nail on the head for me around, but I like myself right now. And I've had to work hard to like myself as I am right now. And there's a piece of me that is afraid that if I am changed that experience in a way that I didn't like, that I would be losing all of the work that I've put into getting to where I am at right now in my relationship with myself. And then I would have to almost start over again or start at square one or that I would be stuck in that, which is interesting for me to even say out loud, but stuck in that disliking of myself. Mm, yeah. Well, what parts of yourself do you currently dislike? I think the most unhelpful aspects of myself right now are my perfectionism, that I'm a little bit of a control freak, and also some ego that I've been coming up against. When I was in a place of really intense insecurity, I didn't really have any self-worth. And now I've gone so far over to the other end of the pendulum where nothing is good enough that now some of the work that I'm doing with my coach right now and with my therapist is to like scale it back and find a happy medium. Yeah, so you've swung either sides of the pendulum, trying on different personality traits and ways of being, and you're trying to find some sort of middle ground. And what I heard is that the parts of yourself right now that you feel are most unhelpful is the perfectionist and the, the egoic part that's showing up a little bit as well. What makes you think that you wouldn't like change? Well, this is a really vulnerable answer. There are people in my life that I know that have gone through really dramatic changes and I don't necessarily like the person that they've become. And that has led us to have to have really strong boundaries and distance between us. Got it. And so you're afraid that... I'm afraid that... So with another person, I can create that boundary, I can create that distance, I can create that separation to protect myself and can't really do that with myself because I'm stuck in here. 
I think the fear is stuckness, which has kind of been an ongoing theme for my my whole life. And I know that the nature of reality is change and that we're all always changing all the time, right? That's neuroplasticity. That's the basis of this whole podcast. And I still have this fear of getting stuck in a form of myself that I, I dislike. This is great. And I just really want to honor you for sharing this so vulnerably and, and just like being willing to share this with your audience because it's not, not my audience. It's people listen to you every week. So congrats to you. This is great because what I'm hearing is a pattern that has most people feeling stuck already in their life. So what you're saying is you fear being stuck in something, but actually what I'm hearing is that you're already stuck in something. And two games that we can play in life. One is, I don't like all of these things, so I'm going to go and change it all so that me and my environment is set up perfectly so that all of my conditions are met and I can feel safe, I can feel at peace, I can feel happy, I can breathe, my body can relax. The game that I'm playing and I invite all of my clients to play is I am free to be me in any environment, anywhere, anytime, with anyone. And my peace cannot be disrupted. And that peace comes from total acceptance of what is. Absolute acceptance that everything is what it is. That requires us to go to the deepest, darkest parts of ourself and our shadows and realize that what we see in the world that we do not like exists within us. That what we see in the world that is horrendous and horrible also exists within us, even if we make the decision not to be that way. And I'm glad that you're bringing this up because a topic that has been really on my mind lately is the way that I see so many women in the world and men to some degree probably caught up in changing their appearance, changing their appearance with injections, with nose jobs, boob jobs, like butt jobs, you name it, there's a needle and a surgery for it. And that to me all comes from a place of this same pattern of wanting to control everything, wanting to change everything so that I like it. That's a never ending game. What are you aware of right now after me just sharing all of that? The first thing is just an overwhelming feeling of gratitude for your willingness to dig in there with me and, and challenge me, which I so, so appreciate. And yeah, your questions really helped me look at different aspects of myself that I haven't looked at or vocalized in a while. So first and foremost, it's gratitude, feeling really vulnerable, feeling vulnerable knowing that other people are going to be listening to this, like my audience is going to be listening to this, feeling excited for them to see a different side of me. And this is going to be tangential and we can definitely direct it back to me interviewing you. No, it's just awesome. But I think one of the things that's kind of coming up for me is that there are so many aspects of myself that I feel really in a place of acceptance with. 
and very much at peace with and at peace with other people seeing and I've done a lot of work around detaching from how other people perceive me and if I'm not their cup of tea my weird ass self that's fine like they're allowed to unsubscribe at any point in time be it professionally or personally and yeah I think the the thing that's coming up right now the most is to be completely honest, a feeling of defensiveness on behalf of women because we kind of live in a world where there's no way you can win. And I think that absolutely to be in a place of full acceptance with ourselves is the ultimate goal. And I think I've just had way too many conversations with women who are like, if we don't physically alter ourselves, then we're never, we're never quote unquote beautiful by other people's standards. And if we are physically altering ourselves, there's something wrong with that because it means that we don't love or accept ourselves. And in some of those conversations with women, there is an act of self-love for them in physically modifying themselves in some way. And I can't say, you know, what's deep down underneath that, but I think that was coming up for me too, is this little feeling of defensiveness on behalf of women or anybody who's undergoing anything that physically modifies them. And I absolutely hear what you're saying around, you know, getting to the root of self-acceptance would be super beneficial for all of us. Yeah, for sure. My comments were not an attack on women at all. It was actually that I was supporting someone very recently who shared something very vulnerably about just not feeling beautiful. And my heart really hurt in that moment for her because what I see in her is just physical and inner beauty as well like you know not just physical but like I just see a beautiful human and I get the challenges that women face I'm not a woman but I listen to enough women and I think I understand okay I'm not gonna claim that I'm that wouldn't get me some hate probably but it's like what world are we all perpetuating through our decisions and what are we pursuing as a collective consciousness and I understand you know why a lot of women want to change themselves because of how men's minds have been manipulated into believing that a certain aesthetic is beautiful and this all wraps up into a really nice bow of this is why I'm so passionate about doing this work because the more people that go deep within, learn to really love and accept themselves, starting with men, the more everyone can be at peace and be loving and accepting of themselves without the need for change. Because, you know, when one person heals, they create space for everyone else around them to surrender a little deeper, to breathe a little more, to relax their shoulders a little more, to just stand a little taller and feel a little better in who they are. Thank you so much for being willing to dig in there with me and wrap it all up in a really nice bow and have a conversation from that. I feel like we've gone down a very personal to Alex Nashton rabbit hole, and I really want to redirect our attention back to you and how this evolved from a personal journey into a professional one. Do you use 
psilocybin and plant medicine when you're coaching as well or just on your retreat experiences? Yeah. In uh, 2019, I started to share more about my personal journeys with psilocybin specifically, but other plant medicines, you know, the cactus, ayahuasca, 5-MeO-DMT, LSD, you name it, I've tried it and probably gone quite deep with it. But psilocybin has always been the medicine that's just called me the most. And I, I just started sharing these experiences on podcasts like this, on my own podcast, when I had one on social media. And people kept reaching out to me like, hey, man, can I come and do it with you? Like next time you, you do it. And I was like, no, it's just me in my bedroom taking eight grams of mushrooms, losing my mind by myself. You know, that's what I'm doing. And enough people kept asking that eventually a friend and I took a very small group of friends away for a weekend and we held a little ceremony and some people had life-changing, profound experiences, what they were sharing. So we did it again with eight people, the next one. And then my friend who was doing it with me didn't want to do it anymore. And so I sort of created what is now known as the Infinite Potential Retreat and each one, it just kept getting better and it kept getting deeper and the space I was able to hold kept growing and my relationship with the medicine kept expanding and deepening and more people kept wanting to come. <laughs> That's really why I kept doing it. I never really set out at any point to be like, yeah, you know what, I'm going to run retreats and serve mushrooms. Like not once did I ever have that thought until I was like, fuck, this is like turning into something. And I've now realized, especially coming off the back of my ninth retreat in Portugal just a couple of weeks ago, this is my calling. This is a need, not a want. There's parts of me that have wanted to not do it or resist it. I can't help it. I can't not do it because of the service that others share with me that I'm giving to them by doing it. I actually have decided that I'm not really coaching anymore. You know me as a coach, but I'm not coaching anymore. I decided I don't want to be a coach. That decision was like, why would I create a course with all these structures and things to teach people when I can just have them come and sit in my space with the medicine and experience it all for themselves and then probably help them with the integration. That's kind of where I'm at now. And that's how my journey has unfolded with professionally and it's kind of funny, right? We always question ourselves about the things that seem to be our callings. I don't know about you, but like, I notice that in a lot of other people. I notice it in myself. The things that you're really just naturally called to, you're good at, it just seems to be like, you know, that's the thing. We question ourselves about it and think, well, can't everyone just do that? Isn't that everyone's gift? Isn't that everyone's talent? And with mushrooms, I just realized I don't actually know that many people that have sat at home in their room and decided for some unknown reason to take 12 grams of mushrooms and look at themselves in the mirror and really, you know, face off with a lot of stuff and try and hold myself through that experience. And so I just, I'm just trusting it. You know, I just trust this, this calling and it's a real, it's a real honor. It's a real gift to be serving this to people. Yeah, it really is. Can you let us in on a little bit of the behind the scenes of what happens at your retreats and what that container looks like? The retreat is 
designed to help people crack open and uncover the truth within themselves. Because my belief is that until we access the infinite wisdom inside ourselves through things like plant medicine and other tools, breathwork, meditation, until we're actually deeply connected with that truth and it's rooted in us that we are love, that you are worthy by default, that you have infinite potential. Until that is in your cells, in your nervous system, you will keep playing games in your life that don't serve you. And probably even when it's still in there, you'll probably still play games that don't serve you because that's part of being human, right? I for sure still fuck with myself all the time in, in minor ways. So in order to get to that place, we have to get rid of, let go of all the things that are sitting on top of that. And for a lot of people, that's things like shame, shame about themselves, about you know things that have happened to them or things that they've done, guilt, apathy, anger, all of these emotions and unprocessed feelings that reside in the body that we're holding there that have us making a decision about who we are and what the world is that blocks us from receiving love and receiving you know the the infinite wisdom that's always available to us so without sharing it exactly you know we go through a series of roller coaster processes that take people through a a water slide you know the dark water slide that like it's light and then it goes dark and then it goes light and then suddenly you're flipping backwards and going upside down and all that sort of stuff and then you come out the end in a splash and it's all fun that's really what the retreat is and you know we have a series of medicine ceremonies at various dosages specifically set up with different intentions i like to work a lot at getting people to work internally with themselves so eye mask on music playing i play a lot of music and when we remove the external stimulus of the world we're only left with what's inside which really is what we create the world with externally anyway. And then one of the ceremonies is an external experience, which is outdoors usually. That can be very, very powerful because when we're working with the medicine, we're more aware of our triggers. We're more aware of the reflection that we're receiving from other people around us and things that wouldn't come up with an eye mask on, come up when you're hanging out with a group of other people on mushrooms in a safe, guided way. And that's a very healing for that to all be brought to the surface in front of each other. Because, you know, you think about, I don't know, most people have some form of social anxiety that I can think of. Even if it's minor and it's like, you're usually 99% of the time awesome, but like 1% of the time, you know, you're going to your new partner's parents house and you're like but if in those moments there was permission and a space where you could actually out loud share how you're feeling and process it and for it to be safe held for you to come out the other end realizing that you're still loved and accepted and that you can love and accept yourself there's so much healing and freedom that unlocks within the body through that because often in life, there's not those spaces, right? You know, at a nightclub or at a, I don't know, I don't, I don't go to nightclubs anymore, but like, not that you, not that you really, but 
at a restaurant with a new group of people, right? Or something like that. You know, there's not always that space. So when we can create that in a social setting, working with the medicine, you know, all of the, that stuff can come up and just be really safely and cleanly let go of. Yeah, I play a lot of music at the retreats. I'm a musician. I've got my guitar behind there and my sound bowls in my hotel room right now. There's, you know, sound healing. There's breath work. I have other like world-class facilitators that are my friends that come and support the retreat with me. And these are all people who like run their own retreats by themselves, only get the best people in. And it's, overall, it's like a lot of fun. You know, it's a lot of transformation. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. Have you ever experimented with guiding with and without music? Because that was the one thing that was a through line in almost all of the research that I looked at is that music was almost always present as a part of the practice, even in like a clinical trial in a contained scientific therapeutic setting. They almost always use music. What do you think the relationship is there between sound and the journey? Yeah, well, especially when you're taking psilocybin. So, I mean, you and I kind of operate in the same world. So I think you and probably your listeners are aware of, there's a a lot of talk right now about the nervous system and about feeling safe. Yeah. And this word safety is being thrown around everywhere at the moment. And it's amazing because it's very helpful, but it's kind of being abused, kind of being abused. Safety is an illusion. Unless your survival is at threat, there is no such thing as safety. Any illusion or distortion or story that you tell yourself that says I'm safe is just an illusion because at any moment, everything outside of yourself is out of your control and anything could change. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. The uncertainty around our level of safety is the thing that elicits anxiety and anxiety disorders. That's been my entire area of study and research and The solution isn't to mitigate our circumstances to create a greater illusion of safety. It's always getting people more and more comfortable in the unknown and in uncertainty and learning to embrace that. That's always the answer. I love that. And that is what psychedelics do. That's what psilocybin mushrooms does. And so we store all of those distortions typically in the default mode network in the back part of our brain, all of those illusions. And when we take psilocybin, that part of our brain starts to shut down. The rest of our brain can more freely communicate. It's trying to create so many more neural pathways. So if that's where we create our illusions and hold our illusions of safety so that I can just cross the road and go to the shops and show up at work and talk on a podcast, have intimacy with a partner or, well, when all of your illusions are dissolved all at once, All that you're left with is your fear. All that you're left with is your fear and you're faced with the feeling of not being safe. So when you take a very big dose of psilocybin, it can be quite intense and scary because you can actually go through the process of not feeling safe during the journey. And so my job as a facilitator and a space holder is to help people feel safe and help their bodies continue to come back to safety because what we're doing is we're helping their nervous systems repat we're removing the illusions and then we're realizing that safety is always here because there's safety in the unknown there's safety in not knowing because we're never going to know so you may as well that's acceptance it's all the same thing wrapped up 
And so music, sound, smell, touch, lots of different things I use in ceremony to support people in that. And music is just such a beautiful tool. Medicine music is ah, potent. You know, I remember when I took 12 grams of mushrooms by myself at home, I was really fucking losing it. I was not okay. I was not doing well. I was really not not doing well in myself, in my own experience. And I, this song came on on my playlist and I had it on repeat. I just managed somehow to like look at my computer, turn repeat on the song because the, the lyrics were helping me to repattern my own nervous system and let go of the part of me that was resisting the experience. The lyrics are, you are forever pure, you are forever true, and the dream of this world can never touch you. So give up your confusion, give up the illusion, and fly to that space beyond all illusion. Those aren't the lyrics. I just stuffed it up. It only works when I sing it because I can't remember when I just say it. <laughs> Do you want to sing it for us? Yeah, I'll sing it. I'll sing it. Okay. You are forever pure. You are forever true. And the dream of this world can never touch you. So give up your attachments. Give up your confusion. And fly to that space that's beyond all illusion so it's embedded deep within me and so for me in that moment it was it was soothing and reassuring when i felt completely out of control i felt completely overwhelmed i felt like i was dying i felt like i felt scared i felt like my entire world was crumbling i felt i was going crazy i didn't think i was going to come back I was crying. I was holding myself in the fetal position, listening to this song, rocking myself back and forth. Just, you are loved. You're loved. You're safe. You can let go. It's safe. Safe. You're safe. Because all of our conditioning comes from a place of trying to know it all, trying to have it all figured out, trying to control everything, trying to be safe. Because, you know, most of us, had moments as children where we didn't feel safe, when we were codependent, where we were relying on our parents. It's not our parents' fault. It's just it's impossible to meet another human's needs when they can't communicate with you. That's what music does. So that's why. And I would say that I have actually had moments of silence. And I do have moments of silence in parts of my ceremonies. And there have been times in retreats where things have taken some twists with people's journeys, which does happen from time to time where certain people need a lot more support. And, you know, I remember one time where I was in a room just off to the side with, with someone supporting them and there was no music and immediately, you know, the medicine was just guiding me into song and I started singing something that just came through me because it's also the, the frequency that music operates at, right? It's like, communicating to the water within our body which is like most of us you know we've all seen the the water being vibrated at with different different sounds and the way the patterns ripple and we've all heard the analogy of how we speak to a plant and we say loving things to one and hateful things to the other and it, it changes 
you know, one, one plant dies, one plant thrives. And it's, it's the same, it's the same in those, in those moments. So in our deepest, darkest moments, you know, we need, we need reassurance. We need each other. We need to know, we need to be told, we need to be reminded of the truth. And uh, I think that's what music serves to do in ceremony. Yeah. It's a tether of sorts back to that safety. Back to, back to earth, back to your body. I feel like I've been on the precipice for a really long time of exploring this further and I've been waiting for the right person. And I feel like you are the right person to be supporting me at least. And I know that there are going to be other people listening who feel the same way. So if somebody wanted to attend the next Infinite Potential Retreat or get in contact with you or just learn more about the work that you do, what is the best place for them to find you and get more information on that? Anything that you share is going to be in the show notes as well. Great. Well, I'll, I'll give you a link to the retreat waitlist. We haven't yet released the next dates, but there will be one probably in North America somewhere next year, 2024. So yeah, people can find me on Instagram at Alexander Waters and the wait list for the next retreat link is also in my bio there. And if someone wants to get in touch and just chat to me, feel free to message me on Instagram. That's totally cool. And it's funny because I mean, this is, this is kind of booming at the moment, you know, psychedelics is, it's growing, but there's also, it's still pretty new. Um, you know, I've been working with medicine now for like coming up to seven years and I would say I'm quite experienced with mushrooms. I don't facilitate anything else because I just, it's not my medicine, you know, certain things call us. And so just recently I've decided to offer a facilitator training for people who are being called on this journey because there was no training for me. I've had various trauma-informed trainings and, you know, I'm certified and qualified in a number of different modalities and things, but ultimately there's nothing that I'm aware of that really wraps it all up. To be able to facilitate in a non-clinical way. And that's where I think there's magic in both, for sure. So so if you're interested in that too, you know, and you're listening to this, feel free to get in touch with me on Instagram. Thanks for letting me share that. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for sharing it. And for this entire conversation, it's really blown my mind in a lot of ways. And I so appreciate you taking the time to get on here and and also support me. I felt very supported and held and safe throughout this entire conversation, throughout all the vulnerable <laughs> twists and turns that it took. So thank you, Alex. I really appreciate it. Ah, oh, thank you. It's been my pleasure to talk nerdy to you. If you loved this episode, help us get it into the ears and brains of more listeners like you by sharing it on social media. When you share on Instagram, make sure you tag me at Alex underscore Nashton. Instagram is also the best place to send me your questions about the episode material and make requests for future topics and guests. New episodes of Talk Nerdy to Me drop every single Wednesday. When you hit subscribe, you'll be notified of new releases so you never have to miss one. Last but not least, this podcast baby would not be possible without Adam Russell. Adam, I am so grateful to have had your support in creating this podcast. Thank you for always being willing to talk nerdy to me.